This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. This was a highly contentious, I think that's safe to say, yesterday a report came down from Correctional Service of Canada. And the commissioner of uh, the CSC, it's on her business card, I've checked, is Ann Kelly. And she wanted to explain to everybody it's associated with this decision how this decision came to be. And what's this decision? Let's take the most notorious serial killer in my lifetime anyway, if, if something happened before the early 70s, that makes it more notorious. And it, it happened in a pre-internet era as well. But Paul Bernardo was and is that notorious. There isn't, there's sort of Paul Bernardo and everybody else when it comes to murderers in, in our society, in Canada. It's not a Toronto thing. It's not an Ontario thing. It's nationwide. And they decided to quietly, and they're admitting the quiet, they're saying the quiet, quiet part out loud. They wanted to move him to a medium security prison. And they found that Bernardo checked all the boxes. And I guess if you're going to have boxes, check, it's done this, check, done that. Um, I guess you could move Paul Bernardo. You could, but should you? Think about how many times we ask ourselves that on a daily basis. You could, but should you? And I think we know the answer here. The first part seems to check out because of those check boxes that I referenced. The second part, where do we draw the line? What serial killer or notorious maniac or animal could we not move to medium security if we're moving Paul Bernardo? I don't have a good answer for that. Someone who is then misbehaving in prison. So now it's about behavior in prison. And those boxes matter more than what he did to get into said prison and what he did to be convicted of those crimes. I don't I don't get it. Remember, also, Bernardo's going to continue to get parole hearings. I have no idea why. I think it says terrible things about us treating the victimizer better than the victim sometimes. Okay, Um, this has been obviously these crimes were committed more than 30 years ago. But again, notorious is what it is. It says it speaks for itself. Everybody knows who he is. And if you don't get out of the way. Get out of Marco Mendicino's office. Get out of law enforcement. Get out of having anything to do with doing this. And by the way, this is not a mistake. This was a double down yesterday from Ann Kelly. And if you're not perpetuating the system, by the way, Prime Minister Trudeau, Minister Mendicino, then you should basically say we disagree again adamantly with with what Ann Kelly's doing. And Ann Kelly, it's been the case was made yesterday by Pierre Polyevre. And Kelly just doing the job as required and that the rules were set up by this particular liberal government, specifically in this cabinet post and specifically the prime minister to allow something like this to happen. This is not a decision I blame on the commissioner. She was just implementing the law that Justin Trudeau passed. Bill C-83 requires the commissioner to give the least restrictive environment to all prisoners, including mass murderers. That was a decision that Justin Trudeau made. And I commit today that when I am prime minister, I will adopt a law keeping all mass murderers 
just like Paul Bernardo, in maximum security penitentiaries where they can do no more harm and where they have no freedom to harm other people. Paul Bernardo should leave prison in a box when he's dead. He should never be out of a maximum security penitentiary. To allow it is an injustice to the victims and their families on whom he exacted his terrible outrages. Okay, and where's the lie there? Where? And by the way, you, if you're going to accuse uh, Pierre of politicizing Paul Bernardo's move, uh, oh my word, a politician politicizing? What do you think Mendicino and Trudeau have been doing about this to explain away their inaction, their lack of knowledge, and the idea that both their offices, independent of each other, did this in rogue fashion and didn't tell either man? You really, you can't possibly believe that. They don't believe that. Here's Justin Trudeau yesterday talking about what he needs to do in the future that he didn't do this time. The opportunity was there, by the way, to to say yesterday, no, 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 let's pause this process and let's do it right. Let's get this right now and not worry about the next notorious Paul Bernardo 30 years from now when we're all in pine boxes. Here's this. We need to put the concerns and the uh, continued grief uh, and anguish of the families at the center of whatever we do with compassion and thoughtfulness towards uh, the losses they felt that all Canadians uh, who were following the news and who were around at that time of these terrible, terrible murders uh, followed through as well. Okay, well, he didn't do that. And uh, by the way, if we're going to reflect upon Justin Trudeau's Twitter account, um, he was in Peterborough talking to people apparently about Canada child benefits and grocery rebates. I'm not going to tell you those things aren't important, but this wasn't important enough um, to make a huge stand about this yesterday. There's every opportunity to say, sorry, that's no good, Ann Kelly. No good. Let's stop this process right now and let fix it. let's fix it. If the house is on fire, let's point some fire hoses in that direction. And for the Mahaffey families, the French families, all of us that feel it in the pit of our stomach when we think about Paul Bernardo, it is in the pits of our stomach. Who cares? Who gives a rip what you're going to do 15, 20 years from now? Should we ever have another Bernardo that we have to make this kind of decision about? We probably won't, but this one feels like it's it's done and dusted. And that's slightly, slightly disgraceful. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, no question. A lot of the shows uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, Kelly's show, John's show, and now Tasha and I think we'll get the chance to weigh in on um, the clarification, if you will, um, and the statement from Correctional Service of Canada um, about Paul Bernardo getting his security classification changed and the transfer of him to a medium security institution. There was a little bit of, I think, self-backpatting from the Minister of Public Safety, he called it an exceptional step to increase transparency. It doesn't do much. There isn't going to be another case quite like this. So correcting things for the future uh, does very little in the present. Um, I want to bring on Tim Danson, who's the lawyer for the Mahaffey and French families, as he has been for over three decades now. Tim, thanks for making the time for our audience today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Give me a sense what your uh, what your thought was. I know it took time to go through the entire review and uh, you wanted to be uh, measured in your comments, um, given the emotion and, and the the attention that the topic got um, and, and the transfer got last month. What were your uh, reflections upon reading it? Well, um, uh, just because of uh, the court commitments I had yesterday, I've only had a preliminary uh, review of the report and I'm going to read it in detail and review it with the families to determine whether or not I agree or disagree with their conclusion that they had complied with the law and 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 with the policy, but even if even if uh, they they are correct, 
uh, and they did comply with the law and the policy, then it then it cries out for change in the law. Um, you know, as the Supreme Court of Canada has said uh, repeatedly, sentencing is the means by which society communicates its moral values. Um, you know, Paul Bernardo is a sadistic sexual psychopath, and after uh, even after 30 years in prison, as found by the parole board, has shown no remorse, no empathy, and no insight. So my view is, if the law doesn't keep people like them in maximum security, then we need to change the law. Um, what I find also a little puzzling is that uh, we do have a parole hearing coming up in uh, in November. Mm -hmm. uh, one would have thought, in view of the findings of the parole board uh, in 2018 and 2021, that they could have waited until November to see that even if you know an independent, uh, you know, quasi judicial uh, tribunal uh, found uh, even a scintilla of change in in Paul Bernardo in terms of having some remorse, some empathy, some insight, but we have none of that. What we seem to have is a a you know a one size fit all kind of bureaucratic checklist uh, to determine whether uh, an offender uh, is going to be reclassified, uh, and and that's just something that is is unacceptable to to us. And what we also know is that from the minister to the prime minister and probably 40 million Canadians when this decision was made, uh, they found it to be shocking and incomprehensible. Well, when the government itself thinks this is a shocking and incomprehensible decision, and now they're telling us, but that's the law, well, then you change the law. That's why we elect people to parliament. So I think there has to be some significant changes. I'm also concerned about the reliance on Section 28 of the CCRA that... Mm. They, they do rely upon, in, which says that you have to use the least restrictive uh, um, means uh, for, you know, all offenders. But this is where this one-size-fit-all doesn't work for me. And, um, and, and that certainly has to be changed. We cannot treat um, uh, uh, sadistic sexual psychopaths uh, as we will any other type of offender. And the other thing is that we all know that one of the hallmarks of psychopathy is manipulation, lying, deceit, being conniving, deceptive. These guys, and they're smart, and they know how to how to how to manipulate the system. And when they're asked questions um, that they know uh, are important, they know what answer uh, to give, and that's part of their manipulation. And so I don't, you know, some of these uh, uh, tests that they put these offenders through. Um, you know, are not particularly uh, sound. Tim Danson is our guest, uh, representative of the Mahaffey and French families joining us on Toronto today. I think you nailed it because um, the the concept of manipulation, we only need to look on our on our movie screen sometimes and see, well, well, Silence of the Lambs, there's Hannibal Lecter. Oh, he can be charming. Oh, he can be articulate. He can be compelling. Yes, that's that's as you said, that's almost in the playbook of of a sociopath and and someone that would commit violence and commit manipulative acts to get people in those scenarios. And further to your point, I, I don't know why the original sentencing of of a of a of a of a criminal to this extent, um, Tim, gets usurped almost by well, he complied well in prison. He played nicely well in prison. He had good behavior well in prison. I don't know why that that almost trumps the initial sentence to people. Well, that's an that's an excellent point, and um, and it is one of of great concern. That's why I said at the outset of this um, interview is 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 what the Supreme Court of Canada says sentencing is all about. You know, as yeah. I say, the means by which society communicates its moral values. So Justice Lesage 
certainly did that in when he declared uh, Paul Bernardo a dangerous offender. And as I said, I've only had a preliminary review of the report, but I'm 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 certain this is not going to change. Uh, that uh, nowhere in their criteria is the punishment side and the ter- deterrent side of sentencing. And so to 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 effectively um, uh, ignore uh, the the findings of of one of the most respected and indeed compassionate trial judges uh, in this country uh, is very very disturbing. And all of this cries out to uh, that we need to make some serious legislative changes uh, uh, to deal with Canada's most uh, dangerous offenders. Well, Minister Mendicino writes that that the concept is not to interfere with the independence of the Correctional Service of Canada. But couldn't I make the case every government body uh, and every branch needs oversight? And the concept isn't to for politicians to decide to spin a wheel and determine prison sentences. But your your government, your ruling government of the day has to have oversight over the Correctional Service of Canada. They have to. Well, well, that's right, and and you know, and I've been battling this for my entire career uh, about the power and the authority of uh, of the civil service and the bureaucrats. Uh, when it is, uh, you know, Canadians elect their 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 members of parliament uh, and governments, and they're the ones who are accountable, and the buck stops with them. And quite frankly, to simply say they can't interfere mm-hmm. uh, when 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 a nation is in out- outrage and 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 deeply disturbed by decisions is quite frankly a cop-out. What was your, you mentioned you had a conversation with Minister Mendicino on Wednesday. What's the tone of that conversation? You have a job to do and, and your t- job is to be measured and deal with facts, but it, it, it it's probably difficult for you not to be emotional towards the minister. What's that conversation like? Um, well, it was a very constructive uh, discussion, but it was prior to the report right. uh, uh, coming out. So what I had undertaken uh, with uh, Commissioner Kelly, and I spoke with her for over an hour, um, and with the minister separately, uh, that I would um, uh, carefully review the report, and and after I did that, we would uh, reconvene our conversations uh, and have a constructive discussion about where we go from here. But it's clear to me where we go from here is that we need some serious uh, legislative change and change in policy, and and quite frankly, you know, this whole knee-jerk uh, reflex response of corrections, as they did at the outset. That they will, um, they could not communicate anything to us because of Paul Bernardo's privacy rights. Please, uh, is, yeah. is, is really appalling, and uh, and 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 that is not the law. Uh, and I've kind of set that out in 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 the statement I released yesterday, which is perhaps another discussion. Mm. But ironically, mm. the very mm. the, the information that was disclosed in the report and in yesterday's news conference. Um, you know, a number of weeks ago, couldn't be released because there's privacy rights, and all of a sudden now they're releasing it, which I think is a good time, good thing. But it really shows that this is just nonsense uh, that they they hide behind the yeah. privacy rights of the offender, so they can't be held accountable. There's some picking and choosing there, Tim. Thanks very much for the time today. I appreciate your context on this. Great, thanks for having me, Tim Danson, joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk, six forty, Toronto. Yesterday at Toronto City Council, um, something that other cities have done, and Toronto waited a little bit long. We can't rearview mirror this week. We'll talk about the present and where it's going now. Mayor Olivia Chow put through a motion to declare intimate partner violence an epidemic. She's got personal history growing up in a household that featured tragically domestic violence. Here's her talking about it at council. The recommendations talked about many 
areas. It talked about better support for victims of violence, better tracking of perpetrators, better bail conditions, um, more housing, better treatment for men earlier, um, earlier treatment. It's extensive recommendations. All that. And there's going to be asked for the provincial government and federal government to get involved. So, yes, it's symbolic, but symbolism does matter sometimes. And there will be practical asks from the city towards um, the provincial and federal governments. And one more note, Speaker Francis Nunziata, if, if this had been known, I didn't know about it, related being abused in the 1970s by her then husband. And it's hard now to reach out to people around you and tell somebody this is happening to me or it started happening to me or it's been happening to me for a long time in the 1970s. Best of luck. You needed to be believed. You needed to be trusted. You you often didn't have your own scenario, your own career, your own path towards independence. She ended up moving back in with her parents um, in the 1970s. Uh, her quote, it was very difficult to talk about because you felt ashamed. You didn't talk about it, but you lived it every day. And all I can do is listen to um, men or women saying that I've never seen it. I've never witnessed it. But I'm one of the lucky ones uh, to to be able to say that. Our next guest is an uh, intimate partner uh, and domestic violence survivor, and she's done so much to encourage other people to speak forward. She's been a real inspiration when we've talked to her before. Amy Kaufman joins us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you back. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Greg. Nice to hear your voice. Absolutely. Same. Um, when Olivia Chow does this, I mentioned it's symbolic, but I also mentioned symbolism matters, and this will be a push towards other levels of government just to do more, to do things we weren't doing 5, 10, 15 years ago? It it definitely counts for a lot. Um, Symbolism, as you said, does matter, and it will push other provinces and hopefully the federal government to do something about this. It's also really helpful to people who are in these situations or in court out of these situations to feel that somebody recognizes them, someone sees them, and that our governments don't feel that this is okay and don't feel that this is something to ignore. It's very concerning to constantly hear politicians saying that this is not as big of an issue or to hear people in society not realize that when one in three women experiences this in her lifetime and that number is low compared to what it probably really is. We talked about this as well during, um, I suppose, the peak of the pandemic at times, uh, Amy, and you came out with your story. Stats Canada has 114,000 plus national cases of intimate partner violence just in the calendar year 2021. There's no data yet for 2022, but we can't make that the new normal. We can't make that acceptable. And we've already have backlogs of court systems. We have obviously some people get a better defense because of the lawyer they can afford in cases like this. And it traps kids as well. It absolutely traps kids because they're just innocent bystanders in this byproduct of violence. Yes, and we can't expect their moms to leave and possibly lose custody of their children or have to share their custody of their children with somebody who they think is a threat to their child's life. So we ask women why they don't leave and we don't do much to help them to leave. The expectations on other levels of government, I know there's been a push towards the federal government to add femicide to the criminal code. Yeah. Any level of disappointment on your part that this hasn't this hasn't happened yet. I find it difficult to believe that the federal liberals with the NDP in a confidence and supply and agreement would get any pushback from the other parties to do this. I, I don't know what the delay has been. Yeah, it's uh, it's mind boggling to me. It's mind boggling to me that course of control hasn't been recognized despite the implications on women and children and society and other people who suffer abuse, um, they've 
women have been being targeted and killed for a very long time. And one would have hoped that polytechnique would have made a difference. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem as though governments are incentivized to represent women. I mentioned that, you know, it's easy for me to say, I suppose, um, it's easier to say, well, things are better now and things are easier. But you lived your own trauma and you lived your own horror. So when I reference Francis Nunziata saying, I was abused in the 1970s. I didn't think I could talk about it. Or Olivia Chow saying, I'm witnessing it with my own father towards my own mother, both biological parents in the in the late 50s, early 60s. That must resonate with you because yours was a 21st century trauma. And it you're so you're so brave and independent. And it took you your time to get this get this going in your own life. Yeah. And the thing that a lot of people may not realize is that I was able to get out with a five-month-old baby, but I had support and I had access to resources and I was able to hire digital forensic specialists and I was able to get all of the evidence off my phone and take the time off from working to deal with court. And if you work at the grocery store and have two kids at home, you don't have the opportunity to do that. And leaving is not, it really feels really impossible. Are we so it, it is easier in some ways now, or you want to say it's better, but it's also just changed. There's technology. Women are abused in different ways and stalked by their partners. So I, I wouldn't really say that it's that much better, but the stigma, you know, there's a little bit less of a stigma, I guess, but it's still really an impossible situation to find yourself in and an impossible situation to get out of without and- a lot of support. Amy Kaufman's our guest on Toronto today. I'm raising two um, young men who are 17 and 15 right now. And I I, I often think what they witness in our own house, um, in what I would consider a very positive house, by the way, uh, once in a while we raise our voices, once in a while we argue, once in a while we win and lose that argument. It's respectful. I think they're learning how to how to not build up anger. I think they're learning how to process, again, those those things that that every healthy couple is going to debate and at times differ on. I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping we're, we're raising better men um, than basically, you know, we were raising 25, 30 years ago. I hope that's the case. What do you what do you see when you're out there talking to your friends? I think that a lot of us are under the misconception that this is an anger management issue. And then if we just teach our boys and first of all, women abuse men as well. But if we just teach our boys, you know, to control their tempers and this really is not an anger management issue. It is a control one. It's something that people who have a need to control others do coercive control, which is what begins physical violence is just the act of depriving somebody of their basic rights and making it so that they don't have friends. They don't have access to money they become automated pretty much and do whatever the person says. I read an article recently where they interviewed many abusive men and asked them why they did it. And the conclusion was because it works. Yeah. They end up getting what, what they want at the end of the day um, and don't pay any kind of price or consequences uh, for it. It's an interesting step today. It's an important step uh, that this has happened and, and we need it to happen in more cities. Uh, across our country. Amy, I got to leave it there, but I hope we can have another conversation before the end of the summer. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. And, and like I said, you, uh, you're you an inspiration, I think, to people who come across you. So thank you for coming on our show. Thank you so much, Greg. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. It's really important. Thank you. Uh, Amy Kaufman joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, a decent looking weekend ahead. We had some spotty weather. Um, touchdown here, touchdown there. I saw some of the Golf ball sized hail 
um, more in Western Ontario, really didn't touch um, many elements of the GTA. Um, and there was some in Michigan as well, kind of flowing through. Um, our next guest was involved in some of that uh, weather, and he was up doing a, a pretty damn important story in its own right, with which has had a ton of concerning twists. Um, and I watched his story on it last night. We wanted to get to him on that. He is the uh, esteemed global news reporter, Sean O'Shea. Sean, it's always great to have you up early on Toronto today. I hope you feel the same, or at least moderately so. An invitation from Greg Brady is a great invitation. That's all I can say, Greg. And by the, by the way, we should mention also uh, one of the top 50 most influential Torontonians in 22. I think you're having a great year. I know you were 40th last year. You're going to you're going to get into the high 20s, <laughs> low 30s this year. I feel it. Look, this is you're this is the highlight of my year right now. And I say that sincerely. <laughs> so, yeah, you kind of had a story happen to you while covering um, a really important story. Uh, yesterday, they were there were parents protesting outside this uh, beating the odds childcare place in Essa Township, which dealt with children on the autism spectrum. You know, and I know, and I think our listeners do too, how rare it is for police to issue an advisory about a uh, previously convicted, now released criminal. It almost gives me the sense they they had a feeling or got tipped off. There were, there were potentially more charges because all of this has happened like a lightning strike very, very quickly in this community this week. It- you're right. And this community, Greg, just for your listeners, is a community called Utopia. It's 17 minutes drive southwest of Barrie. It's in Essa Township. By its very name, you'd expect perfection, right? It's Utopia. Mm-hmm. But what was going on on this road, uh, was in this beautiful property, I gotta say, wonderfully big, wonderful house, which was the home of this beating the odds. And it was a, a day camp that was geared toward, um, people with disabilities like autism. I spoke to a woman who paid $60,000 a year to have her son treated there. And what came out this week that was that the uh, one of the, the, the couple, uh, the 42-year-old um, uh, male who uh, owned the property with his wife, that um, he had been previously convicted of um, child uh, trafficking. Uh, multiple convictions, and the police, as you said, came out with a warning saying that um, that people that he posed a danger to the community. And shortly after that, uh, there were police raids. Uh, the husband and wife were arrested. They're facing multiple charges in connection with a new case, a new allegation of uh, forcible confinement. The facility is shut down, and yesterday, as you said, there were uh, people in the community protesting there and trying to offer support for the adult women who live within this complex right now who remain there, who they say are terrified, and they feel that there may be more victims of this couple. And there have been so much so much of the news cycle, even yesterday, obviously, um, with the explanation of the uh, of the Paul Bernardo decision to move into medium security prison. So much in our ether, right? So much in the news cycle about about sentencing, about um, people's rights, about victims' rights. And in, in a case like this, for someone who was convicted twice of some form of, uh, of child trafficking, this was tremendously concerning, just not even to have any conditions based on, uh, on him upon release, Sean. And many of the the people in the community, Greg, they had no idea that this person was living there and let alone living there then in a position of trust uh, with his wife, caring for uh, children with autism. As I said, I interviewed that woman. There was another woman uh, who had a child um, with another disability and was nearly going to send her child there. And, you know, speaking about Paul Bernardo, I covered that case back in the Mm -hmm. late 80s, early 90s. 
And with Carla Homolka and her contribution to what happened in that horror show, uh, the female um, uh, wife here, uh, Amberly Maloney, one of the charges she faces is administering a noxious substance. As we know from anybody who followed the Homolka and Bernardo case, Carla Homolka was convicted of you know being involved in uh, drugging her own sister who who died. So yeah. the the story here is just really starting to unfold. There's a bail hearing this morning at nine o'clock in Barrie for this couple. Uh, hard to believe that they would get bail, but there's our process and we don't know but so many questions the charges have been laid but the details the real facts of the case have not come out in open court police aren't saying a whole lot about them as as you can imagine but the community there the people up there uh, yesterday telling us that they're worried that there could be other victims and they're just you know unbelievably upset about how the justice system has apparently not protected the community because nobody knew that this man was was uh, in that community and was in that position of trust Sean O'Shea our guest on Toronto today uh, talking about the story up in Essa uh, Township and and Utopia Ontario's as he referenced I heard from a listener yesterday who said who laid out even when the another notorious case, Sean Graham James was first convicted of um, of his sexual sex assaults of junior hockey players. Yes, I think most people thought, well, it's it's not the sentence that people were hoping for, but but the parole board laid out several conditions: no contact with anyone under eighteen, no communication with victims or families, you can't work or volunteer with anything involving minors again. You'd think that's almost. That's almost the baseline, isn't it, Sean? And standard practice when you are convicted of these crimes, if you're going to assimilate back in the community, there have to be conditions like that at the very, at the very minimum. And were there vulnerable sector checks done mm-hmm. as uh, we would have any volunteer? I've I've had this done when I volunteered. I'm sure other people listening have done that as well. That's the baseline, as you said. Uh, this organization was able to function and flourish and uh, thankfully, at this point, uh, from the perspective of the people in that community, is closed. I knocked on the door there yesterday, was greeted by two very large, angry dogs with my cameraman. And, I mean, the reality is inside the home are, are many of these women I referenced, too. You know, there's a lot of rumors swirling about how they got there, what their role is in terms of treatment. Uh, all this information is going to come out in court. But there's a plea right now to the community, to others who may know about what was going on in the house, uh, whether people were uh, brought to the house under false pretenses, etc. Uh, all of this information is going to come out, but to your point, the, the reality is something went wrong when the community doesn't know who is looking after their children, and frankly, mm-hmm. they have every right to expect that they have that information and it'll be safe for their kids i know sean ontario solicitor general um gave an an, you know a plea if you will to for all parents to keep away from the center but he did that two days ago it didn't happen yesterday as we know you know even during pandemic times think what you want debate disagree but but politicians were finding all of a sudden people are in driveways and knocking on doors and 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 protesting on lawns that's an easier said than done scenario for the solicitor general because obviously you're talking to people it's a pretty angry ticked off community right now it's ticked off and it's remarkable to your point at the beginning you know the, the police finally coming out and making this statement the solicitor general's office remarkably as well saying that this person should have no contact referring to the to the man who's been charged uh, Lorson Charles Maloney uh, that he should have no contact with children in absolute terms and bearing in mind that this 
case has not gone through the courts yet, but he has, as we said, been convicted previously of human trafficking. Human trafficking is, you know, a very serious charge. These are very serious charges for all of them. But if you looked at that house as we stood on the the driveway and we talked to people in that community, a lovely community where nobody, as one of the neighbors said, nobody knew what was going on or what might have been going on. You don't know your neighbors until something like this happens, potentially. And when those neighbors may be looking after your kids, this is really where people draw a line about what is safe and what is right. Bail hearing coming today. Sean O'Shea uh, was up there yesterday. Now, we got a minute and a half here. Give us your uh, your bird's eye view of, uh, of the storm uh, you saw coming in. Barry dealt with a terrible terrible uh tragic tornado two years ago so i know you weren't in you were in barry proper just outside the courts what did you witness yeah we, we came back to barry to do a live shot in front of the courts to talk about this story and as you know the 15 minutes before the live shot came upon we saw the clouds coming we saw <laughs> descend on us and then even though we were under shelter in front of the courthouse it just rained in i, I think i said on twitter that you know if i take a shower i don't get that wet but it was just unbelievable my cameraman james davidson was was doing live shots for the for the broadcast but it it was really um it's remarkable people take weather sometimes not as seriously as we should because we think ah it's just a shower but in that part of the world you know the rain it can turn to something far worse and you're right the tornadoes are are devastating and if you've ever been in a place like we were in angus a few years ago to see the aftermath of that one they come quickly and they're serious and and you know it's great to remind your audience that when things are are coming and the warning had just come out to take shelter because it happens so quickly well it is and and you've given your cameraman props twice and and maybe a third time because he gave you dry pants and there's only you know like we all need uh, our work colleagues to have our back sometimes there's only so many times during the year that your cameraman should be loaning you pants i feel like but but that's an extreme circumstance where i think it's okay i think it's okay sean yeah, it was great. I appreciate that. And that's the wonderful thing about working on a great news team like we have at Global. So I'm so so, so thankful for all of us uh, that we work with, all of you guys and, and my camera. Well, great to have you. And, and uh, you, you did some great reporting on uh, on a very tough story for that community. And we'll be watching what happens later today, Sean. Have a great weekend. Really appreciate you coming on this morning. Thanks a lot, Greg. You too. Uh, uh, Sean O'Shea joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I'm going to a uh, wedding tomorrow, and I think it's my first wedding. Um, A friend of mine who was my kid's uh, soccer coach, um, who's Scottish. So I don't. I don't know if he'll wear a kilt. I don't know how that works. I don't know that I've ever seen a kilt at a wedding, but Gord, people do wear kilts to weddings when oh, they're. Yeah. He's actually a born and bred Scot who moved over here. Um, is he getting married just for the work visa? That's not for me to say. I want to go to the wedding tomorrow. I don't know. But um, he's from there. He's wearing a kilt. I think that might happen. I have not been asked to wear anything specific. If anything, I was running around yesterday making sure I had a suit that still properly uh, wasn't too ill-fitting. How Ill, do you know I have fitting. a suit? Well, I don't know. I, when's the last time I'd, I've, I would have worn one? I'd, it's been a while. I, I, I don't have And I want to wear something that's sort of... Summary. I walked, by the way, I was walking to the Jays games uh, Tuesday night to meet my friend um, from the UK and not him, uh, another one. And uh, I walked past a guy with like kind of a crisp baby blue suit on and it looked like one of those skinny suits and he had a black tie. And I wanted to stop him and go like, that suit looks great on you. But I didn't think at that point that that was it's going to lead to other conversations. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. I, I don't want to miss the first three innings. And next thing you know, um, you know, he and I are having gin, gins and tonics and just talking men's fashion. I could I could go for that, to be perfectly honest. Um, 
So I haven't been to a wedding in like nine years, Sheba. Have, when's the last wedding you've been to? Uh, I probably go to a wedding every summer. Oh my goodness. It's <laughs> oh, been almost I know a people decade who go for to me. weddings every weekend. Yeah, but it's, I don't know. I just know, and I'll be honest, I hate going to weddings. I hate it. I just think it's an epic waste of money. <laughs> I think it's a waste of everyone's time. I do. I don't feel that way. I want to, I still want to go tomorrow. I, I think that's, I think it's open bar. So I'm still, I Ooh. still want to go tomorrow. So I know someone who's going to a wedding and it's 500 bucks a head. I'm sorry. Is that the going right now? Isn't that crazy? Well, here's here's some of the data I looked at on the not.com, you know, my second or third favorite website. Um, they document how weddings have transformed in the last decade. And uh, some of the data is remarkable to me. I got married in 2004. Um, the wedding, uh, the average cost of a wedding. Let's say this is a U.S. based website, but let's say the costs in Canada are, are comparable. $33,900 is the average cost of a wedding. And that was in 2019. Little uh, I word. It's called inflation. The DJ costs more. The food costs, food costs way more. Yeah. Um, renting, the, the like, there's more demand because a lot of people couldn't get married and have the wedding they wanted in 2020 and 2021. I still think it's hard to get the right place on the right weekend on a Saturday or Sunday, probably, Sheba. I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm just there tomorrow and and so excited, but I don't know what the planning and all the in, and and all the decisions and all those phone calls and emails are like anymore. I have no, no idea what that awful. feels like. So according to this article, uh, the average now right now the average for a luxury wedding per head is five hundred and seventy six dollars. <laughs> That's insane to me. Go save that money for your down payment. Well, I think it's really. Imp- I now see it's easy. Look, I know what you're saying. And we bought our house in 2002 and we got married in 2004. We bought our house in 2002, but eight months later, we got engaged, planned for a year for uh, a wedding with about 130 people. I would have felt a lot worse not owning a home, getting married, but how can we, I can't, you can't ask people to stall their entire lives given what homes cost now in Ontario. Like, so there's a lot of Ontario people screaming at both of us going, I need to have this day. And I get it to some extent. I think you can be. I don't. I, I don't do. get it at all. No, listen, look at the stats. Over 50% of these weddings are going to end in divorce. I don't so think about that. Not, not this one. Not tomorrow. that money. <laughs> it depends on the kilt. It depends on how many men are wearing kilts. I'll give you that. You're flushing that money down the toilet. Just, I think you just have like 20 people, nice, intimate, something, have a meal together, break some bread together and call it a day and hope for the best and focus on the marriage. If people put as much effort into their marriage as they do to their actual wedding, I think we'd have a lot lower divorce rate. Whoa. I, I'm, I'm trying to be less cynical about this. Um, oh, I just think I... I just think weddings are so over the top ridiculous now. Like it's just people lose sight of the actual relationship. I, I don't know. I, I I didn't feel like I did. So you're I, you're you're if your son comes to you in ten years, five hundred seventy six dollars per head. Hey, Dad, I want a luxury wedding. Yes. Or she wants a luxury wedding. Maybe he'll be a groomzilla instead of a bridezilla. Maybe <laughs> maybe he'll be like, I must have this and I must have that and th- and this that and the other thing. I again, I'm I'm 19 years in. Uh, our wedding anniversary, by the way, is on is on Monday of uh, of next week. Um, and my son's taking wow. his driver's test that day. This could be the worst anniversary <laughs> ever. <laughs> I can't even handle the stress. What of What do you of have that. planned? Are you going to a concert without her? No. Nah, oh my God. Do you want to? Holy cow. Do you want to explain what happened last year? Why don't you okay. explain what happened to the On audience? On Greg's wife's birthday. birthday not Greg an anniversary. 
Greg left her alone right. and went to a concert with his buddy on that night. Who's getting and married tomorrow? Same guy. Oh, it's the same guy. <laughs> I have a tough time getting dates for concerts. <laughs> and obviously, she's a wonderful, supportive wife. So she said, no, you go. You have a great time. And she... She sat at home all night while he partied the night away on her birthday. Important to note, my other son was there, um, and I think he just stayed in his room playing video games for, yeah, for exactly. her entire birthday. Exactly, so that doesn't count. Uh, it doesn't count. And uh, and um, my other son had a concert um, at the Phoenix Concert Theater. Uh, I I peaked. I picked him up. He reeked of hash oil, by the way, but I don't think any of it was his. Whatever. <laughs> um, but I he he that boy needed a ride home proper. From Toronto, and there was yeah. Super Dad coming from his own concert. So you could have done that <laughs> while taking your wife out for dinner. I offered a downtown dinner. I offered a downtown dinner before seeing New Order and Pet Shop Boys, and so she turned it down. Maybe some peace and quiet was the best birthday present she ever got. Thank you. Yes. Uh, hubby out of the house. <laughs> what are you saying birthday. about Greg, Gordon? Yeah. He doesn't stop talking. He doesn't shut up. He's going to put a soccer game on yeah. uh, and just, just watch it mindlessly while telling well, I, me how much he loves me. Absolutely. All jokes aside, I hope you have something planned for your anniversary. I think I do. Well, I'm taking her to a wedding tomorrow. What's better than that? (laughs) She has to dress up. By the way, the average wedding size in 2019, 131 guests. I think I had about 140. Now, I'd have about... 90 like i'm trying to shave down the people that mean so much to me i'm trying to i'm trying to cut some of them out of my life it's not going so great i had at mine keep in mind it was a big fat south asian wedding yeah on my gore i want gordon to guess first uh 275 (laughs) okay 275 over or under 210 210 600 whoa <laughs> and it was two nights. Actually, no, the you. first night was 500. The second night was 600. Epic waste of money. Your, yes, but you, okay, so you feel. No, I had no option. I, I'm the youngest kid. I'm the only daughter. It was honestly my parents' like party. It was what they wanted. It was hor- like, uh, that's why I'm so against weddings. Like, how are we still married after that? Like, usually when you spend <laughs> Are you still married money? talking about this on the air with all the regrets many, about the actual ceremony? But how many oh, of those people were doubled, wedding. though, in those two nights? Um, not very many. Wow. Oh. Not very many. Other than family. Other than family. Like, it was ridiculous. Like, for the first five years what? of my wedding, people, random strangers would come up to me and be like, oh, hey, Shiva, I was at your wedding. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, <laughs> do you understand where I'm coming from with this? Like, yeah. it's it's a waste of money. My, I have almost no regrets about this, about my wedding. Although, I, I will say, I met with the DJ very early on. That was really important to me, was my music. And he said to me, listen, pal, I can't control what's going to happen when we get there. So I wanted a lot of like new wave and 80s stuff. I got a lot of this. This is. Oh, come on. I got a lot of this, Gord. Oh, like, this is fun. I'm this wandering fun, around. Though. I got the Macarena. Yeah, but this is. And I got this. because because are pouring onto the dance floor at this very moment. My wife's origins are, uh, are, 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 to be honest, country folk. And I like the country folk. I got yeah. nothing against them. No, this is fun. Yeah. At a wedding, this is fun. Yeah. But it was a very rural versus urban uh, dance floor. And I got. So and rural won. Rural won the night. There you go. I, I love it. I love. So you have your suit for tomorrow. You're ready to go. <laughs> yes, I'll I'll tweet okay. I'll tweet out a picture. We'll. Uh, oh please. We'll yes. inst- we'll Instagram it up. I might, that might be my first Threads post. Is uh, <laughs> <laughs> is me sitting at the table. By the way, I'm worried we're going to be the oldest couple there, except for the parents. Whatever, we'll make it work. I don't want to pull them. I, I I you know I've got fluid on my knee right now. I may not be able to do achy breaky heart. I'd make the point, um, Sheba, that uh, people are. 
men are men are wearing now like um like a great tailored suit, beautifully fitted, but the sneaker thing with a suit had not sort of come into play. No, it hadn't. Unless you were an athlete. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. That's true. Yeah. So I think that I could I would do that. I would I would obviously no. stop the DJ from playing as much country music as he played and I would wear sneakers. It's the only two things I would change no. if I were to do it again. Really? Tomorrow. Why are you like a nice pair of crisp clean white sneakers, Gord? You don't like that? No. <laughs> what about the Aaron O'Toole sneakers when he was campaigning? No. I think you could Gord, don't <laughs> roll your eyes at nice, me. You can do that. Pair of shoes, a nice dress shoe. No, your feet are like it, it's oh, I feel it oh, in my yeah. joints. Listen to you whine and it, um, women have to walk around in high heels. Well, they don't have to. I w- if if Mrs. Brady wanted to get married in sneakers, I'm mm. cool with that also. Yeah, I bet you. You know, if I said I I said and I tell my husband this too. If I ever ever to do it again, like round two, I would wear like a beautiful dress and my hikers. I would get married again in my wearing would. my hikers. I'm telling you that they are my favorite shoes I own. They're my pride and joy. They're my identity. So I would wear my hikers. By the way, you, you mentioned like what 50%. You're like, what's the point? 50% of marriages won't, won't go the distance. <laughs> I, bet, I bet you I've been to 30 weddings. I can only think of one couple out of maybe 30 couples. Maybe I'm off by a few. I can okay, only so I think would, of one divorce, divorce. And that, that I would argue that's your generation. Maybe people are more hesitant to do it. What do you mean by I'm I'm the I'm the current generation I'm the now I'm I'm, I'm not the Pepsi. only I'm the me, I'm the me generation I am in I hope I die before well, I get I'm old going I'm by, not then I'm you in the generation friends, you choose friends who choose to lose mediocre live mediocre lives <laughs> how <laughs> could you choosing. say that <laughs> that's what you're choosing if that's really out of out of your friends if there's only one couple that's split I'm surprised I'd say I'd say seventy five percent of my girlfriends are divorced women. What? And they're all, they're, you know what it is? Divorced women are a ton of fun. They let go of the guilt. They put You're themselves Gordon first. They're, um. <laughs> they are. And you know, and this is, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm fingers crossed. I'm happily married. Who knows what's going to happen in 10 years? I don't know. I'm stats, but I love them. <laughs> Well, you no, I'm telling hikers. you, like, they, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, but I've told my or husband, I'm like, my next wedding, I'm wearing hikers, <laughs> and, and less yes. than 600 people will be there. Which no, in a forest earlier. with 10 people. Oh, Maybe 10. we'll renew our vows like that. Yeah, you get to hike to get there, and that would cut down on the guests. I think it's, oh, re- I, 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 yeah, that's true. You, by the Gord, way, are you saying you're not coming? I will see how far I make it. <laughs> not in January. I went to one winter wedding. I went to one January wedding and I didn't like the winter wedding. Please. Like, I oh, think it's, it's gotta so be. I think it's, no, it's slushy and it's, you can't, like, it's one thing. How oh, about it, destination weddings? Have you ever done a destination? No, wedding? we were invited to one and then they, they cut it off. Like we were, <gasps> we were going to, I think we were going to Jamaica. I've still never been to Jamaica. And I think there were 20 of us going and then they, how did they switch it? I can't remember. And then they're like, Oh, it's just in Michigan. Instead, we all lived in Michigan at the time. I'm like, oh yeah, Michigan's great, but we were going to Jamaica. Please, I had to turn one I, down because I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to go. Yeah, oh. well, that's the point. That's they invite you know hundreds of people, and they know that only their 20th closest friends are going to show up. Um, we got a message from uh, an Italian, so we'll let him. Be, we're not we're not stereotyping Italian weddings, but he's te- he's an Italian telling us. That he grew up with over to, over the top wedding since the eighties, waste of money, a big show off session. Yeah, that's easy to say when you've done it once. Like, come on, it's like, it's, uh, I no, think- I think going into it, like you should have. I just think that we are so caught. It's like it's the gram, it's the Instagram life, 
right? You mm. want to get this shot for the gram and that. You need this over-the-top wedding dress that you're only going to wear once in your life. But you need like all these fancy, ridiculous things to make it look great for the gram. And then what happens? That next day you wake up next to that person going, oh, I forgot about you. Okay, let's... So now how does this marriage thing work? Well, no, but... No, I, I, I just think it's ridiculous. I it's think we were doing that before money. the gram. And I think I think we were all doing things like that and being excessive. Now, admittedly, yeah, getting married in 2004, we, we put like we put um, disposable cameras on every table. And so that's how we got photos because... That's cute. But I bet you know people haven't done that for probably... <laughs> 12 years, 13 years since they could well, take their own photos. nobody needs a disposable camera yeah. anymore, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> we just set it up. We had, we had, we, we were, we, it was so long ago, we had the thing where the flash goes off and like a, there's a big poof and explosion oh, right. and people get like, <laughs> people get it on their suit. It's all this white, silvery yeah. explosion. And everyone looks serious because you can't smile. You got a great text. Um, um, read the text about the four months pregnant person. Okay, so, hey, Sheba, my fiancé is Indian, and she had 700 people at her first wedding, all her parents' choice. We're getting married next summer. The basic thing at my parents' place in Newmarket with 20 of our closest friends. We've both been married before and wanted something to celebrate, but nothing that costs more than a few thousand. Oh, and she's also four months pregnant right now, and that's been a trick to reveal. Yeah, that's a minor, <laughs> a minor detail. In the pro- <laughs> that's a minor detail in the process. So we're and we're maybe maybe a, a late December baby. So again, mm. you know, that's why the summer wedding, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. You have a tough time walking that kid down the street in a stroller in January and February. We had a January baby, and we're like, oh, I guess we'll be able to go outside after the colic ends and. He's three months old. Et no, cetera, it's et good though. A January, I have a January baby as well. So like those first three, four months are a blur, and then by the time the weather starts getting better, and you can actually get out and go for walks, it works out. Yeah, well. I, I guess you don't have a wasted summer. It, it I, that's how I describe it. It's like getting hit over the head with a sledgehammer constantly. Anyway, the first twelve weeks of your first, especially because you have no idea. Yes, you have no idea you're what you're in for, what you what signed up doing. for. Well, I'll have a full report with video and audio and photos from uh, Saturday. Okay, question though: Are yeah. you going to wear sneakers with your suit? Damn straight. I uh, they don't they don't look like sneakers. Gordon's these blue shoes I got on right now. Sneakers. They're not. Yeah, they're but not. they've got kind of the white. Again, <laughs> I'll reference. I think they're Aaron O'Toole shoes. Yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're not like running shoes. Well, so. good thing you don't wear glasses, and I, that way, like Pierre Polyev, you won't be able to see. I well, yeah. I'm going to not slick my hair back and start wearing t-shirts uh, and makeup. Like every 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 candidate for the prime minister. Yeah, there is makeup. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's but they of, all wear makeup. Everybody wears makeup. Especially, come on, it's part of it. If you're in front of a yeah. camera, male, female, you wear makeup. I mean, the prime minister almost got uh, got his makeup uh, yelled off him uh, yesterday in uh, yes. in Belleville. People were screaming at his makeup. 